Alright guys, we gotta give the people what they want. Campaign style gameplay. I'm thinking we set it in my homebrew world. I've been building it for two years. I have eight countries, two continents. I have so many locations, so many plot hooks. I got four campaigns. Who wants to play what? I got a Wikipedia article. You're all gonna have to read yeah. it. <laughs> Get more Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Welcome oh, to this week's episode of Modified Rolls. Yeah. We're going to be talking about homebrewed campaigns, worlds, stuff. Homebrew stuff. I, I do oh, think wait, we're talking about campaigns and not like toilet wine. Alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Moonshine. Homebrew, we're not talking about the toilet hooch. <laughs> Christian's prison hooch. Insert, insert banjo. <laughs> I do think homebrew stuff could be like its own series so maybe we will get to that and do some more episodes about like homebrewing your own classes, classes and magic yeah. items and Beats, yeah rules, yeah rules yeah, within a game so but then, this episode yeah how do we how do we define homebrew or at least for these purposes but in general talk about homebrew campaign slash worlds today yeah what we're talking about continuing our session on how to write prep and run or how to prep and run one shots and then we did published adventures now it's forget all that i can do this myself um what why did you guys think i would be a uh, excellent asset to have for this episode you're the only it's one like who's just, actually done it the most successful right. campaign yeah but i don't i don't homebrew shit no but, but <laughs> i just no, your, your whole plot your campaign plot yeah like you're not setting, following a book right yeah, and esterin is all homebrew. Uh, yeah because yeah. yeah. okay. you can homebrew in, in fairness like amber's saying you can homebrew a world which is like, you know, the super heavyweight version of doing it. But you can well, also fucking you, yeah, can also, really you can also you can also hold an entire a campaign game in a campaign world or, or an IP that you already have that you like. And we're gonna talk mm, about okay. both. So going back to Sarah's question, to define what a homebrew campaign is, is is just that, right? We talked about one shots that you can either write but you don't have any obligation to continue playing this game, right? It is a contained one and done. You can run published adventures put out by the many companies who make many games and they write am adventure paths and campaigns and modules that display what that game wants you to do. Or you can do what we're going to discuss today, which is either in write it yourself. Yeah, either in your <laughs> own don't. world or in an established universe, for example, in Dungeons and Dragons. Plenty of people run homebrew games within the Forgotten Realms. It is a popular, well known, well fleshed out setting that you can run your own games in. Um, so that's what we're talking about is your, your players make characters and you let them explore the world and you have an idea that isn't tied to any official published product. Yeah. It's plotting out your own storyline for the entire campaign. I would disagree with that and say that it's more as someone who's written scenarios, oh, okay. uh, this is maybe the only thing I have to add in when you're writing a scenario. Uh, of any sort, if it's an adventure, if it's a one-shot, maybe if it's a whole campaign, what you have to remember is that you're not really plotting it out because your players are going to plot it out. Uh, what yeah. you're doing is you're providing the framework in which a story can happen. <clears throat> yep. And it's their I job agree to take with that, that and, and do what, it, what they want. However, I've done very little 
prep prep and plot. Yeah, that's a, I it's agree a lot like that. writing in that way. You should have a major NPCs mm-hmm. and villains, specifically villains, because NPCs shouldn't be driving the plot. No. Your players should, they're mm-hmm. the main characters. But you should know the goal, motivation, and conflict for each of your main villains. And, <laughs> and also the players. Do that, they react off of players. And the players, yeah. In theory. And, and I would say I will say too that the best the best thing you can have uh, the best like put all your effort into your into your villain. If you only have a limited amount of prep time, make a really great friggin' villain with a really really good motivation because that'll that'll do a lot. Make sure your players hate them, and they'll just pick that up and run with it. I'm gonna realize just how much Jess is gonna be excited to hear when it comes to my homebrew game. Like I, obviously, we've joked about how I have my own homebrew world. That was a joke in the beginning, but I really do. Um, I love world building. And I do a lot of overprep. I agree. The best thing to do is keep it short and think about, you know, one, two sessions ahead and have broad strokes for big picture stuff. But um, yeah, even if you don't, because again, uh, there's a few things and I should, I, I'm going to back us up a little bit. We were, <laughs> what you should do when you're going to run a homebrew game is A, determine if you're running in a established universe, which I highly recommend. Don't run something in your own homebrew world unless all of your players are actually this can become so unmanageable and chaotic so fast yeah unless they actually care to ask about or if you do have like a website where they can talk about the lore or you know what i mean you're you have an active group of players because otherwise it's going to get too confusing um but you know remember that this isn't your story it is your player's world and it's a shared game so i would say um I was going to talk about how the system matters here because like before we got too far into it, we're all coming from a perspective of this is D and D right. Um, we're talking about the villain. We're talking about, yeah, we're villain, all villain fits in anything though. I mean, that's how I write my Call of Cthulhu scenarios. Like what's the villain? What's the bad thing first? And then you yeah. go backwards from there, you know, uh, superhero game, same thing. Just who's the villain? That's Fantasy. It's conflict. It's, yeah, it's conflict. It's conflict, conflict is the conflict are universal. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah, and depending on how long you want this game to be, again, everything comes back to our first episode, Session Zeros. Talk about how long this game's going to be, because that will determine how much you need to prep, how much you need to write and think about. Uh, If it's going to be 10 sessions, then you don't need um, a big bad... Please don't map out the other continents in your world, because A, it's a lot of wasted energy, B... You're going to feel the need to force pieces of that in there because you love it so much and you created it, but like it's only going to serve as a diversion from the main plot. Your players can't do four campaigns at once. They can follow one plot at a time. <laughs> as Amber, it says to Amber, who's in 37 fucking games. I mean, so many games, but they're all separate games. Okay. They're separate stories and separate characters. I mean, I am, I am also uh, there right now. And, and, uh, I will, I will say, as a person who is in uh, multiple games at, at once, I am uh, very fortunate with um, both of my two main campaigns that I play in are in homebrew worlds. They are completely homebrewed. Um, and I am very fortunate in that both of my DMs handle it extremely well. Um, they have maps and stuff, but it's nothing too crazy or detailed. It's just like, here's locations. And you can go to them if you want to. You don't have to. Um, and they have like... Almost like a sandbox. It's very sandboxy. And they, they both handle it well. Where it's like, here's a little bit of information your character might know about this place. Do with it what you will. Um, or even beyond that. Because um, I'm in one of those games uh, with Jay. Jay, you do a great job. We love you, buddy. 
we love you very much um whole like when i was when we were doing character creation he was just like here take this whole portion of like you know design the underworld in this country because yes. i have a rogue and so i designed how it worked and oh, really cool. so now you know there's something my character would know and that's just part of his world and he's always even in the game because i started in character just telling like a story about something that happened to my character and he's like taking notes and he's like always jump in and just do that it becomes part of part yeah. of the world let let your players add to your world um i'm i'm just gonna keep bragging about jay but that's also because i've played with him for six years at this point dungeon world method uh, it, it yep. is um we planks. my yeah. uh my best friend in yeah. the first campaign we played she was like i want to be from the feywild and he went cool what are your ideas? And she ended up designing the entire Feywild because she got really awesome. excited about it. And he just took what she had and ran with it. So like, if you really want to design your world, see what your players like, take input from them and sprint. Yep. Yep. I was going to say, um, again, session zeros do a lot of this, but especially in homebrew games where, you know, you don't have the railroad, you don't have the story mapped out as well as published stuff use what your players give you like use character creation to focus in on what their characters care about figure out what kind of story it is they're trying to play as they make these characters and tailor your story to that because getting a bunch of people who want to kill undead and then putting them up against drow armies is a bad move <laughs> you know we'll springboard off of that a little bit Getting a bunch of players who want to kill undead is not probably going to happen unless you initiate that plot point and make that requirement of everyone. If you're just like completely sandbox, anybody do whatever the fuck you want. You're going to have five different people who built five characters from totally different areas in the world who have nothing to do with each other, have nothing in common, have no shared interests, mm -hmm. which is unless, not a great way to start a homebrew game. Unless, <laughs> unless. So do give them something and be like, you have to be involved with this somehow. Yeah, that's the best way <laughs> like to that do will, That will make your job so much easier in the long run and it will give your players reasons to like, not walk away from each other. <laughs> Go ahead, Troy. So I was going to say, unless, Amber, you are running a system that um, includes that it, it makes the characters know each other. Like, for example, Invisible Sun, everyone has to be connected in one way, shape, or form. That way you can make characters that are totally different, but you still have to have some overlap somewhere. That helps, but a lot of those systems that I've seen, like Dungeon World has the bonds, a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse does. Usually that's with one or two other characters. It's not with all characters with each other. So sometimes what happens is it creates like a party click. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. That's how, and, that's how groups and, like, work then, in real life. But then what you have is you have two separate adventuring parties that you're trying to get to do the same quests for disparate reasons. Or, or um, so I can say my two responses to this are one, show up with a few pitches. Always have like campaign props, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So yes. that way you yes. can get a party cohesion if you want that everybody's got a similar goal thing. For sure. If you just allow people to go nuts and say, I'm going to build characters and you go, oh, cool. What's your journey about? What's your journey about? What's your journey about? Then what you should really make sure they understand is this game is going to have to be longer because what this is, is multiple character arcs. And what you can do is as those character arcs uh, each go off, think of it like seasons of a television show, mm -hmm. right? where especially anime does this really well. They will focus on one character's development and you'll get other characters' development during that arc, but it's primarily about how this one character is getting through a portion of their journey. And what you could do is, ideally, the other players in this party are going to engage with 
the story as this other character's arc is going on and you just pull threads in (laughs) to connect them all like that. And with that, you want to manage to make sure, you want to try to manage that um, a character is not going to kind of fulfill their, like, you have to balance like that when you focus on a specific character's arc, that character does not complete partway through the campaign and then they're boring Mm -hmm. to play. That can happen yeah, too. It's That's like kind of a, I'm over the fact like that my that. mom died and I'm happy now. Well, yep. great, we're a bunch of like criminal vigilantes and like we have a happy guy on our team. It's not gonna yep. work. Yeah. Yeah. And and to do that, like you need to for, you need to continually complicate the characters. Uh, somebody fulfills their revenge quest like that needs to have an unintended consequence that has another. Yeah, yeah. They find something new now, right? So, yes, they don't they let them just yeah. avenge their family. Right. They've avenged their family. But they're gonna be done. <laughs> There's no winning in RPG. Yeah. You know, and that's another way to tie into the bigger story is every time they get close to what they do want, you have villains to complicate things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not the big bad, depending on how long your campaign is going to go, take something from like what Christian likes to talk about a lot in superhero games, rogues galleries. Yeah. If the big bad has a bunch of minions underneath him, not only do you get this really clean game design where, like Critical Role Campaign 1, they had to take down each of the dragons leading up to the big red dragon, right, at the very end. Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> it's campaign <laughs> it's one. But, it's past, it's past Yeah, But one. also, you get, this re- you get this really neat structure where they know what they have to do. They have to take down these certain enemies, right? And each of them has a shtick, so you have these really great um, location design kind of things. Um where you can lean into theme and you can lean into gimmick, which we talked about in the one shot thing. Jess loves mm-hmm. everything with a gimmick. Um, you know, yet that's how you complicate stuff. Every time they get close to wanting something, well, something else is not happy with that result. Yeah. So, and, and and if I can, and I can add it, you know, if you're if you're starting a campaign and you're and you're beginning to um, kind of seed in those villains, think ahead. Uh, think ahead and make sure that you put in. And I'm thinking specifically if you have a game like Dungeons and Dragons where it's like there's a level progression, right? Don't say, okay, great, you beat the village witch. Oh, crap, you're fifth level now. Oh, you know, the, the necromancer is out there. You know, you got to stop him. They're going to be like, well, I've been playing, you've been playing like, we played like six, seven sessions, never heard of this guy before. And all of a sudden you just pop up and he's a threat. Seed those people in. Seed in the fifth level villain. Seed in the 10th level villain. Seed in the 20th level villain they're going to have to fight. Make sure they're out there. And that works with anything else. It works with superhero games too. Make sure that they know that who the, you know, the, the minions are and the big bads are in the world and all those sorts of things and just kind of sprinkle them in, right? Maybe they have an encounter with the really big guy. You've introduced him at their lower level when he could just wipe him out, but he doesn't. He kind of laughs at him. Later on, they get to meet him again. Sprinkling hints and clues. Exactly. Speaking of villains, I have to jet because I have to go finish betraying my fellow party members and becoming the new Dark Lord. Make Jess talk about her homebrew Tortal game. <laughs> Will do. Will do. Bye, spot beat boop. Um, um, so could, go ahead, Sarah. Uh, one thing I just want to say really quick about villains is make your villains flexible. Um, make sure they have s- strong, like, um, like a, a, I guess a theme or like a motive throughout. But as your players shift the plot, if your villains went after one specific thing the whole time, then suddenly the plot derails. So that's no longer a thing. Suddenly your villain's not a problem to your players. So make them flexible in that you can adjust on the fly to have your villain continue to be a problem or or the conflict in terms of a, a non uh 
villain game. I don't know how to explain that, but you know, the main conflict, the main villain, it has to be flexible and adjustable. I can I can talk to this, uh, and here we go. Where's the jingle for Rainy Talks PPTA? <laughs> Um, we do need to come. We did, it should be. It should be like the Flanders theme. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so <laughs> the old Flanders theme. <laughs> I will say a couple of things about this. Where, um, and you've gotten this far in the episode. We're about what 15, 20 minutes into this episode, and you're probably already thinking this is too much work for me. But as you will hear from Troy, from me, from everyone else here, hopefully, you don't want to over prep. One of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you for a homebrew game is big, broad strokes. Have your villain, have their motive, have their goal, have their network, their reach, their minions, right? Like have their their means to do this thing, but leave that. One of the things where you said, um, one of the things where you said your villain should be able to evolve. I think that um, PBTA does this great where Dungeon World has fronts. You talk about the, the characters going on a journey and they are constantly dealing with multiple problems from different angles right like like fronts of a war so where they focus on one side the other side is is advancing their goals right the more you ignore one problem the more it's going to get worse um monster of the week has specifically in the game the way you design any mystery in monster of the week is it's called a countdown you start at the day when the first clue is found and basically it just clicks up a few like it says like day afternoon dusk night midnight and then at midnight, the worst thing happens. You don't get to solve that mystery. If you don't solve it by midnight, and basically if you fail rolls and hard moves, the, the GM can just tick it down. You're getting that much closer to not solving this problem, right? Um, in a game like D&D, that can happen too. If the players, again, don't punish your players for having fun and doing some downtime beach episode shit, but don't feel... Beach episode shit. Don't feel bad... <laughs> Again, going back to Dungeon World, one of the GM principles is think dangerously. Do not be afraid to get wild. If they are being lax and they're like, we have time to deal with that impending war um, that's about to break out on the borders because it's not going to ha- It's a video game. It's not going to happen until we show up and prompt the quest. Fuck you. War just broke out. And now all of your resources in this, this country are not accessible because now all hands are on deck and everyone's dealing with the war. Yeah, we, you know yeah, what I mean? we talk like, about this all the time, like that the world should be very much a living, breathing thing, right? When you when you don't take action, there should be something else going on that has consequences to it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's very much true in a homebrew world, right? Like you should start kind of small, and I agree with that, start small, but like have a broad picture and a broad idea of what's going on and how things kind of affect each other. I love that. And I think, you know, in plotting, and this kind of circles back again to the villain thing when you're talking about it, plotting with the villains or you're, you know, if you're going to do plotting in a storyline, plot what the villain wants to do. That's their plan. So they get, you know, they want to accomplish X. They want to take over the, the realm. So in order to take over the realm, they have to, they have to undermine the barons and they have to get the support of the church. And then they have to make sure there aren't any heirs around. And then they finally have to assassinate the king and queen. And those are the steps they're going to take, and then they're going to seize power, right? And they also need the support of the military. So those are the steps, and your characters can interact whenever, wherever they, you know, intersect with that. So if you're in a D&D game, if you have the character who's a priest and he's part of that church, he's going to see things coming on, going on. If you're characters who are, are martial classes, maybe they're involved in the military, they're going to see things that are going on. 
you know, so that's all how from different perspectives. From different perspectives. Too. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, and if you yeah. and that gets back to Rainey's point, where if they choose to do nothing, well, then it just he succeeds, right? And bad things happen. Villain succeeds. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I wanted to add that I think is particularly important for a homebrew is to make sure that you put in something that will really anchor your party. Like this is true of like any adventure, but I think particularly with homebrews, like you need like an anchoring either home or city or town or anchoring NPCs that the party really cares about that they can always return to when either things get bad or like that they care about when these consequences happen. Yeah, exactly that. Um I think that's really important in a homebrew, whether it's like their own castle yeah. or like a town or people that they love, like something central that the whole party cares about is important. Yeah. Gives them a sense of ownership. In the yes. Yeah. It, give yeah. them a location to fall in love with that not only will they always want to come back to, but they'll always want to keep safe. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Not, to, yeah. not to plug Christian and I's game that's coming up, but you literally have to take care of your community when the apocalypse comes it's a whole part of the game that's what the whole game's about and like because that's true community is what everything is about and like yes your adventurer is going on these grand it you know adventures but um yeah a place to call home is huge if you're sleeping in a you know (laughs) under a tree every night you're not going to feel great but if you have a place to go back and you have relationships to tend to and friends who can help you my my players i actually checked in with my homebrew group last night and i was like hey i just want to check in like doing the thing where let's talk about it is everybody having fun are we doing the things that you wanted to be doing in this campaign and they said almost the same thing they were just like i hope we get to see those npcs again your players will latch on to the things that they like and just you know make sure you're giving them more of that so now i get to bring back a very fun npc who's a little axolotl person who wants to be the world's best chef Oh, that's awesome. that's great. I love them. What the fuck? Their name is Nom Nom. Oh, <laughs> bitch. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Um, the other thing that I guess I was going to say, this is like a little bit late, but we never really talked much about what the benefit of doing a homebrew is, right? Like the homebrew is like your creative creation, right? Make things interesting. Make things um, unique and weird. Like, you could do like a regular homebrew adventure in like any fantasy town with like generic fantasy stuff going on. But like the benefit of homebrew is that you get to take your creative mind where it goes and wherever your players kind of invest in. So make things really different and interesting. Um, Amber had mentioned that I should talk about my game. Um, so I started off with a homebrew world, which uh, I do not recommend at all like everything will tell you every advice thing will tell you to start with a planned adventure as your first dm adventure maybe even a one shot yeah Yeah, i did not do that (laughs) i started with my favorite book series in my favorite world growing up as a child um because i loved it so much magic school bus oh i love (laughs) that's actually that would be fun as hell to play you just need to find the right that would be Fucking magic school bus. Uh, I was Sorry, gonna say, just do uh, kids on bikes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, dude, kids, kids on, on brooms. Yeah. Kids on brooms. Yeah, yep. kids yeah, on magic, it's a magic school, school bus. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. Anyway. I for- there you go. Sorry, no, so no. Someone run that game and let us know how it goes. It's totally fine. I just completely forgot my train of thought. I think it was just nope. go with what inspires you. Just like make sure whatever you're doing, it's it's a world that you love and it inspires you and um something that your players can be interested in too. 
Just really, really quick, I would say, we've because we, we've talked a bunch about, like, um, taking input from your players and putting what they love in there. Put what you love in there. If you are really passionate about something, yeah. and your players can tell, and they will, they'll run with, if, you know, if it, there's a certain kind of monster or kind of plot hook, you and or, like, if you really like heists and you want to run a heist episode as part of your game, like... When you're clearly excited about something, your players will buy into it and get excited with you. It's, we say, you know, like, you know, it's the story of the players and all that, but you are also playing a game and should have fun. This is not your pit job. You're here to have fun, too. So, like, go with what you're passionate about. Yeah, that's, I, I'd say, to piggyback, I have two things to say. Uh, to piggyback for that, Sarah, just as an example, the morning this is going to come out, we're going to be running, streaming our first adventure part of Invisible Sun, uh, which I promise will be more on track than when we're creating characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bang, bang. Good luck. But um, in doing like you know the prep that I did, and I think I told these guys literally, I had just a folder where it's just uh, you know I had, I had a cold when I started when we, when we originally said we we're going to run Invisible Sun I had had a cold I have some like NyQuil dreams that I just woke up and like wrote in there I have uh, weird philosophy uh, quotes and things like that I have song lyrics I have just poetry I have visuals that I liked I just put a bunch of weird like all the weird shit I could find I just opened my mind up to surrealism and strange things and, and different things and just kind of dumped it in there to prepare my mind. So inspiration can come from anything. It can come from, you know, like Sarah said, a book or a song or, or your favorite series. It can come from your favorite recipe. You know, if you have a little axolotl that wants to be a chef, draw inspiration from a lot of sources and put those things you're passionate about in. Uh, the second thing I wanted to get back to with what Jess was saying about, like, if you're passionate about it, you're going to work. The best advice I've ever read about doing your own homebrew campaign, it comes from Kevin Crawford who has designed a lot of games about building sandbox worlds. So Stars Without Number, Godbound, Worlds Without Number. Uh, and his advice is always, do the work you need to prep for the game, but always ask yourself, am I going to need this? Is it going to be immediately useful in the game that I'm playing? If it's not, the next question to ask yourself is, am I having fun? If you're not having fun with it, don't do it. If you are having fun mm. with it, do it. Mm. Yeah, I eventually do want to have an episode of modified roles and we've talked about this a few times um about mining media for yeah. ideas in rpgs right like you know if you're excited about something it's going to come across and if you love something if you're watching a tv show that you don't think your friends have watched if you're reading a book series that you don't think your friends have read and there's awesome stuff in there use it don't blatantly rip it off there's a very popular phrase on the internet that like you know good dms invent but great dm steal kind of thing and that's true like take what you love flavor it into a, something that you really enjoy boil it down and, and reshape it yeah. you know in a way that you like and put that in your game you are literally that axolotl chef is definitely on your brain because that was a whole string of food metaphors was it oh uh, see yeah. nom nom i'm trying to find it to the picture i have of nom nom shout out filibuster frog on tumblr Super cute artist. Uh, that's where I got the idea for Nom Nom. Hell yeah. Was I is just... the artist cute or is the artwork cute? The artwork is cute. I don't know what the I'm artist sure looks like. I'm sure the artist is adorable. Yes. Um, Hell yeah. The other thing that I was going to add is 
the tricky thing with homebrew too and like taking things that you love is also just be prepared for your players to change everything and possibly ruin it right <laughs> like yeah. rainy playing avatar or me playing in my childhood world like sorry rainy. <laughs> just you know just be prepared like a lot of people create these beautiful homebrew worlds but like you know it is your story's going to go where it's going to go you got to be flexible and sometimes it it is destroying your worlds and what you built and that's okay yeah that's, okay. that's the story of yeah <laughs> that's the story of that's just, just letting your friends play in your your favorite places yeah that that's the story of like my first game like i had this beautiful prince who i like super loved and they like made him eat marmots and like put him to sleep and like carried him around like a football and oh. yeah that, that was my beautiful prince. your prince yeah, they oh. did a lot of things to my poor prince, <laughs> who became king. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, so. Became king. Yeah, yeah he got there. Yes, yeah, he got there. But um, yeah, just be prepared. As long as they're having fun, that's what counts. <laughs> so with that, I guess we'll move into kind of the next point. Like, how much do you prep when you're going into your homebrew? Like, before the game or and, like, during the game? How much do you prep for stuff? I know it's also very system-dependent, but like on a general scale, because like I'll say we're like we're gonna have all sorts of different answers to this. Yeah, we are gonna have very different answers. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the right, or maybe maybe not right, but I think the the best way to do it is probably just to start small, start with like a single like small location or a subsect of a location, and start with. A, a problem right and then build out from there and then slowly let information about the world or the problem or the villain kind of come to pass uh that is not what i do right like i've I... <laughs> good advice Maybe follow it follow it yeah yourself. i yeah. i over prep like rainy to the extreme like i when i did my first adventure i had planned for like a year and i planned and plotted everything out into the future like i i i plot a lot mm. i plan a lot i prep a I, lot um... It depends. Again, second best piece of advice I've ever heard, again, comes from Kevin Crawford. You only need to be two or three sessions ahead of your players. And, and really, you only need to have the next session planned. You know, that, that the two after that can be very vague. Uh, I will say, for example, right now with Invisible Sun, um, I have the first, I have Friday's game, um, the first session I have very strong ideas for it. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of it's just going to be kind of introducing characters in the world. So I'm pretty certain how it's going to go. You know, it's the first act of the story. So I, I'm pretty certain how that's going to go. After that, I, I haven't, thought, haven't thought about it at all. Now, it's going to depend on what you guys do. Uh, and we'll just take it from there. Uh, and I think that after the, the other thing is the once you play and you sit down at the table and you get an idea of how the players through their characters are going to A, interact with your world and B, interact with each other, it becomes a lot easier to kind of guesstimate what they're going to do. Uh, and you can, you can plot a little better, you know, plot-ish. Your, your players you say, like, will you know, always surprise you, but the more you know yeah. your players, the more comfortable as a DM you're going to be, Correct. period. Yep. Um, I will say for me... I mean, my answers are very system dependent. I've said it before, and it's time for my jingle where Sarah talks about Good Society, oh, which is go. real quick, really, really quick. It's okay. So when I ran Good Society uh, both times for these nerds, because I've run it for them twice, um, I had zero plans other than the starting event. That was all I wanted for Good Society. It was like the first time I read it, I was like, it's the beginning of the season ball, 
And then for this time when I ran it on stream, it was like, it's the Harvest Festival. And that was all I had. Um, and then the rest of it just happened. Whereas um, in Pathfinder, my group and I are, the game I'm running there, are about to dip into a chunk of homebrew. Um, I'm taking out a chapter of a pre-written campaign, making it all homebrew. I, I have uh, a few sections planned out and a Google Doc full of bullet points for each section. Uh, not all of it's going to happen. Um, but at least I have kind of my, like, here's some important NPCs, here's the conflict, here's what happens before we move on to the next section. So I, <clears throat> I'll i go next. Um, I've run differing lengths of homebrew stuff. Obviously, our Avatar game um, was set in an established universe, but I wrote, you know, a unique story. But I did kind of tailor that to the session zero that we had. Um you know, I've run some kids on bike stuff where I just came up with a powered character and a problem. Um, and it's it's minimal. I actually, like you said, I try and only think one, two sessions ahead of my PCs. My homebrew 5e game that I've been running for a while now, I want to say probably seven, eight months. Um, I built a homebrew world and a lot of my long term, you know, D&D campaign players who played Storm King's Thunder and Tomb of Annihilation with me were like, dude, let's play in your homebrew world. And I said, okay, let's let's give it a shot. I definitely overprepped for that. And it's actually become something of a stressful situation for me because I don't want to overshare because nobody wants that world building nerd. But as far as the story goes, I am tailoring it to character arcs. And I've started doing this thing that I really like. Um, you can do traditionally a lot of traditional um, D20 style fantasy games. We'll use something like a hex crawl where you literally make a map and they move from hex to hex. You roll for random encounters. You have an idea based on terrain or specific locations you have as a GM um, about what might be there. I'm running something even more abstracted than that called a point crawl where basically I have a map and I just have little circles with little dashed dots in between them. And if you're in a circle uh, and there's a line going anywhere else, you can go to that place. It's like a board game almost. So that way, wherever my players are, I know if they're in a city, I give them three or four options. From the city, you can go to these locations. Those are the points of interest nearby. And if they go to a place, I have ideas prepped for that. What monsters are there? What threats there? What NPC interactions might come up? What opportunities? Things like that. Um... And that way it's a lot easier, you know, like I don't have to worry about all the minutia of this crazy dense world that I built. Um, but I kind of, I, I like to do big picture, you know, like what, where do they start? Where does it end? And in the middle, what are some cool, especially for D&D, what I did was I picked a couple monsters that I was like, I've never run these or I do love running these. They're going to be involved somewhere. How are they involved? And I just kind of scatter them and say like, they're around. And if the players get close, either narratively or physically in, like, the world on the map, I tie it into the story there kind of thing. Um, it is a lot of reaction, um, but in a game like D&D, you have to be pre prepared at all times because of stat blocks and stuff, mm -hmm. which... <laughs> if we're giving advice, I cannot recommend enough. Um, get Dungeon World. It's like a $10 PDF, if that, at this point. The GM chapter of this book is some of the best advice I've ever gotten for running games, especially homebrew, because it's not about knowing the rules. It's not about um, 
you know, building this crazy world. It's about collaborating, you know, uh, real quick, the 12 principles, mm-hmm. draw maps, leave blanks. That's a point crawl, right? Like have ideas. And if they want to go somewhere else, go, okay, I have enough information about what's around here that we can make this work. And, or like we talked about earlier, let the players help build the world. Let them inform what's there. It's such a good um, idea. You know, uh, address the character. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have something prepped, ask one of the players, why is it you want to go here? What's your character hoping to find here? Guess Mm -hmm. what? It's something like that. It may even be that, but we're going to make it complicated. You got to earn it, you know. (laughs) Um, Embrace the fantastic. Don't be afraid, especially in a homebrew game. Get weird. Like, the best stories people have of games are like, dude, do you remember that time a god saved you? And it's like, don't be afraid to do shit like that. You know what I mean? Or like, um, make moves that follow. You know what I mean? Like, make sense. Don't break the fiction, though. Um, give monsters life. Name every person. Ask questions. Use the answers. We've u- And we've talked about this one before. Be a fan of the characters. That's your job as a GM. Help them tell a badass story. You know? Uh, and badass stories aren't all winning all the time. It's about experiencing the low. To enjoy the highs. You know what I mean? Um, think dangerously. Begin and end with the fiction. And think off screen too. Like we talked about. The world goes on when they're not doing shit. Dungeon World. If nothing else. GM chapter. Worth every penny. Hmm. Um, I wanted to, to touch base on something that you said, Rainy. You were talking about how particularly regarding um, D&D you know, the stat blocks and stuff like that can lead to a lot of unexpected things. And um, at least for me, uh, the longest running campaign that I've done is a homebrew game for Shadows Vesteran. Yep. And uh, Amber and Jess are both in that group. And it's kind of two campaigns at this point that are taking place simultaneously in the same world at the same time, just in different places, which is really cool. And even the characters between games are connected to one another whether they know it or not um in some cases they do in some cases they don't yep yeah so like for example um and i can say this because it's known but uh in the first game that we ran um which all of these characters are pre-generated by the way which is crazy because we've been playing this campaign for two years and i think that that's so cool that you can take pre-generated characters and you can learn to grow them and like change them into a character that you fall in love with yeah um you don't yeah because they picked characters that they were like okay this seems cool right and then um but Sha- so a couple things so shadows of Estrin is not a game where you have to deal with stat blocks like that yep. it's it's a fantasy game but it's fairly low fantasy and it's fucking brutal it's super gritty and super brutal so like it doesn't matter if you're at the very beginning of your campaign or at the very end of your campaign your character can die from hyperthermia. Mm-hmm. Like they can die if they get bit by a fucking poisonous snake, period. Like they can catch yellow fever and die. Realism. Like, yeah. yeah, it's fucking real. And that's awesome because to a certain extent that keeps people in check and it allows you to more easily plan for things. Like you don't have to worry about your characters trying to do fucking insanely crazy things because like they're mortal. Mm-hmm. Like they're not 20th level yeah. D&D characters. They're mortal. Well, always. You know what's always great? they are mortal, you know? You know what's great about um, that is that it doesn't slow down the game. Like in D&D, yeah. it really does slow Dude. the game down to a crawl sometimes when you're just like, let me look up how 
this creature's yeah. ability works. And it's like it, you left the fiction. Right, you left the fiction behind to read the book that's in front of you. You're not all collectively in this right. imagination imagination world anymore. You're oh well according to this blog post, it, who cares? Move on. Right. You know. Yeah. So so to touch base on what I was saying earlier before I kind of brought that up was um so like one of the characters in our campaign, uh one of the key things about his character's pre-generated arc things is he's kind of on the arc of like vengeance essentially his his fiance was brutally murdered along with her family and he doesn't know who did it or why and the only clue that he had was like a dagger with like a raven's hilt on it period and then in the other game that we're playing the other campaign the same player is playing the character that murdered his fiance and her oh whole family my God. but but it's not that straightforward. Like that character has also had an incredible amount of growth and they left that organization behind because they felt so terrible about killing this, you know, this innocent person in her family because they were witnesses to something that they shouldn't have seen. So he had to, you know, leave behind no evidence or whatever, no witnesses. So like, it's crazy that that's a thing. And um, they they interact with each other in ways that the, the characters in the game are not necessarily aware of, but the players are. And that create and it makes it so cool. Like um, the character that murdered uh, the fiance, the murderer, um, had a dream. And in this dream, there was like this dark, ominous like figure at the just at the edge of this at the edge of their vision. And it moved into the shadow and there was a wolf and um that's symbolic of the other character, Sid, Sid the wolf. Like this creature has been tracking him and hunting him. And in the other game, he finally got a clue. Like the whole campaign, he was, it was fucking cold. He had been searching for almost 10 years, nothing. And he never let it go. And then lo and behold, an NPC produces an identical dagger. And they're like, I have a lead for you. And it's like, I just, I thought that was awesome. But I just wanted to jump in and say like, I I, I love the idea so much of, the players having knowledge that their characters don't about the world mm-hmm. and about things. Mm. And, and I know that's very tricky because you have players who, who might be tempted to metagame with that knowledge. But, you know, if you have a great group and you trust that group, that, that's such a cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, for me, for my homebrew game, um, I, I tend to focus a lot on improv. Um, I, I don't do a lot of planning. In fact, the the campaign that we're running now, our home game, it started off as what intended to be a one shot and we'd never play again. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, from there, I just pulled another one shot and then stopped planning shit and just kind of went with it and, and went with what my characters were doing and what they were interested in. And like one of the key NPCs that we've ever run across in our campaign I had to throw in fucking last minute because I forgot nobody in the group could fucking read and somebody <laughs> left them a letter. And I was like, fuck. That's <laughs> insert NPC. Like, and like four, so four like adults or like four like young adults. Like, like, you know what I mean? Walking adults. up to someone and just going like, please, sir, can you read <laughs> yeah. this letter for me? That's is so funny. Cause like, yeah, they see, they see this that. fucking, they see this guy sitting at the tavern and he's fucking reading. Oh my God. We need to talk to this guy. <laughs> he can read. Um, I mean, that's that's the beauty of homebrew, right? Is that you can really take the story where it needs to go. That That's kind of the thing that kind of holds you back with a pre-run adventure is when your characters mm-hmm. have things that they want to do or these backstories that you want to explore. When you're in a set campaign, it's hard to veer off 
for a long period of time without kind of losing that main story plot, right? But with a homebrew, yeah. you get to just let the story unfold however it's supposed to. Yeah, that's a great point, Jess. I, this is something you made me think of just now, too, is that you know if you're homebrewing a game, the game, like Jess says, it becomes about what the characters do. And one of the examples that popped into my mind was, just, again, I'm going to go back to Kevin Crawford. Maybe I need my own music now for Kevin hey, Crawford. Hey, we got him. Hey. We're all going to get there. But um, Kevin Crawford and Runecrest, probably. Uh, but um, there's an adventure for Stars Without Numbers where it's it's literally possible for the characters to walk away if they play their cards right, worth like millions, like hundreds of millions of credits. Forget it; they'll be set for life financially. And uh, in reading, I think it's in the notes of that adventure. I was reading it, and you know the concern obviously is, well, if the characters get this money, it's going to break the game. And Crawford's answer is, no, it's not. They're rich now. They don't have poor people problems anymore. Now they have rich people problems. What did they do with it? Yeah. What did they do with the money? Who's trying to get it from them? Who's trying to take advantage of them? What enemies have they made? Now you have a game about that. Yeah, they have resources, but they have problems, right? More money, more problems. And so more money, more problems. Yeah, you can't you can't break a homebrew game because if the players do something that goes off the quote unquote rails, well, that's because they just found new rails to go down and you just follow them. Yep. Um, I will add to this, and this is going to maybe be, <clears throat> maybe this is the next uh, Modified Roles tangent we go off and go down, which is, uh, let's talk all things homebrew, because if you're running a homebrew campaign and you've chosen your system, and your system of choice is working, and you love telling stories within it, but then you do run up against a rule or a subsystem or something about it where you're like, this never flows well, this never feels right, you know what I mean? Part of the word home, part of the whole homebrew experience is to give your players and your group the game you want, the stories the characters want to tell, but also at the table, the game you want to play. Use the rules you like, implement new rules you come up with, or get rid of rules you don't like. Um, for my homebrew world game that I'm running with my friends, I sent them a like 30 page Google Docs where I was like, I don't like these rules in D&D 5e. Surprise, surprise. Again, where's my second jingle? But I sent them like a 30 page like Google Docs. And I was like, here's all of the optional ways I've like rewritten rules that I think works better. And we decided on like, we're going to use like four of these and we're testing it out. And it's great. You know what I mean? Like it's really made their characters more interesting. And that's really, it's just me taking D&D and going, some of this is stupid. Let's just make it more narrative. And it works for us, you know? Yep. If you Tell us, Tara. Tell us. You literally said this and everyone saw me shoot up in my fucking chair because th maybe this is my other soapbox. Is uh, if you, you know, if you don't like a rule and you sit down and you tell your players, like, look, here's what this rule is. I don't like it because X, Y, Z. What do you guys think about us taking it out? Everyone agrees? You take it out. Cool. Fuck you, fucking Pathfinder First Edition, armor, spell, failure, chance, whatever the fuck yep. your name is. Worst fucking rule in the game. Listen, I working at the libraries made me mean, and I'm just ready to fight a bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for another great clip, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the end of this episode, is me just being Go ahead sad. and wrap it up for us, Sarah. Does anybody else have anything? Or... Uh, I was... I, Take us home. I was just going to say, um, I figured to end this, we all just do really, really, really quick, like one or two sentences advice on homebrew. Like your favorite advice on homebrew in one or two sentences, Max. Gimme knives. 
That's what I want. You take your player's knives and you stab them with it when they need it. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like a character has been kind of um, sitting in the background for a few sessions and while you're exploring something else and this character is kind of doing what they got to do. They're doing their party role. Uh, guess what? If if you did your job as a GM in the session zero or you've been asking them questions along the course of your game, you got it. That's the homebrew. That's the magic of homebrew is uh, they've given you something they cared about. You turn it into a sharp object and you stab them and you get them moving to fix that problem. Um, I'm just going to quickly restate, uh, throw in what your players are passionate about and throw in what you're passionate about because everyone at the table is going to have more fun, the more excited about shit everyone is. Uh, I guess my homebrew advice is to play in a world that has an existing wiki and let... (laughs) (laughs) That's really good advice, though. Yeah. That's really good advice. Pull from that and let your players pull from that because they'll definitely be more consistent. That's that's great advice. Uh, I would say um, make sure that react to what your players do. That that's the best way to figure out what happens next. React to what they do. What did they do in the world? Uh, you know, they'll show you, like Sarah said, they'll show you what they're interested in. The characters, they'll show you what they care about. Make sure what they do changes the world, but also take your next steps from them and their actions. Use that as cues. I would say for mine, it's going to be if you if you're going to run a homebrew, um, the sky's the limit. If you're not going to sandbox your game, don't sandbox your experience either. So oh, yeah. don't don't um, don't get caught up on the details so much that you forget why you're role playing in the first place. If everybody thinks something is absolutely hysterical, take the five minutes to laugh at the table. Like it's okay. You know, the game goes on and and that's the whole reason why we're playing is for those experiences. So, Mm -hmm. well, with that, thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of modified roles. Uh, if you enjoy what we do, uh, consider giving us like a five star rating and a review. It really does help. It helps get seen more. Um, and it also makes our hearts, uh, full and we love it and we need positive encouragement. Uh, you can follow us on all the social medias at DMs After Dark. We stream every other Friday around 6.30 EST-ish at twitch.tv slash DMs After Dark. You can also email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com and uh, connect with us just kind of however. We're there. We're in the ether. Play more games and uh, yeah. make some shit up. Yeah. Make some shit up. Yeah. Fuck it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Like you cherish it! <laughs> <laughs>